Welcome back to Brailcast, connecting the dots for Brailists everywhere. And coming up this time... The Braille 21 in Leipzig in 2011. There was a German, for all practical purposes, a German graffiti there. And it was about the same size, had a bazillion pins, and they were talking about $50,000. So now we're down to $15,000 10 years later. And maybe 10 years from now, we might be down to $5,000. What happened at CSUN? Hello and a very warm welcome to the Brailleists Foundation. I'm Dave Williams and in this session we will be exploring all the Braille and tactile news from the California State University Conference on Technology and Disability. We'll be hearing from people who were actually there and actually got their hands on new Braille technology and we'll be hearing about the Touch of Genius Award and a new electronic Braille format. So we hope that you will keep us company over the next hour and uh, listen to what I know will be a fascinating session. And there will, of course, be an opportunity to ask your questions. So let's go ahead and introduce our panel. First up, uh, actually a bit of a regular round here at the uh, the Braillist Foundation, uh, President of the International Council on English Braille. It's Judy Dixon. Hello, Judy. Hello, Dave. It's great to be here. Thank you. Great to have you. And uh, also uh, a bit of a blast from the past for me, somebody I used to work with back in the day on uh, ACB Radio. But of course, we all listen to those Blind Bargains podcasts. It's JJ Meadow. Hello, JJ. Hey, Dave. Always good to be here. Really appreciate my first time here. Absolutely. Absolutely. uh, A blast. Looking forward to it. Well, it's good to have you, and uh, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. And not at CSUN this year, but certainly keeping his finger on the pulse of uh, all things Braille. See what we did there. Uh, all the way from uh, RNIB, it's the Braille Technical Officer, James Bowden. James, are we able to unmute you? Hello, James. Do I speak now? You do. Excellent. You're sounding good. Thank you. Okay, so without any further ado, let's turn our attention to the California State uh, University of Northridge and their Conference on Technology and Disability. And we should say that this is a pan-disability conference. It's not just about blind and partially sighted people. However, our focus is on Braille here at the Braillist Foundation, of course. So our attention will only be concerned with the Braille and tactile announcements coming from that conference, which took place. Place just a couple of weeks ago. And the first of which I'm delighted to uh, share with you is in fact that the Brailis Foundation, uh, we received an honorary uh, mention and a check from the Touch of Genius Prize. And this is an annual award uh, organized by the National Braille Press in the United States. And they wanted to recognize the Brailleist Foundation and our work over the last couple of years to promote Braille usage and to teach Braille during what has been a really challenging time. Um, Judy, you are on the committee for the Touch of Genius Award. I wonder if you could just give us a little bit of background about the award and talk through some of the other uh, candidates this year. Sure, I can do that. Uh, In 2009, the National Braille Press published a biography of Louis Braille by Michael Mellor. It was a very comprehensive, well-researched biography. And the subtitle of that biography was Louis Braille, A Touch of Genius. 
And at that time, National Braille Press became, began considering how could they do more to encourage developments in the area, especially Braille devices. And the first few years, the Touch of Genius Prize was funded by the Gibney Family Foundation. So they had, they had good funding for it. Um, that has now ended National Braille Press is funding it from other sources. But the, the idea was to get organizations, individuals, researchers, universities, anybody who wanted to develop something to develop things that would be in the area, either Braille or promoting tactile literacy. It doesn't always have to be Braille. It's open worldwide to anyone around the world. And every year we get right, right around 20, I would say more or less, uh, number of applications. And um, this year there were two winners, the Brailleist Foundation for being so incredible and uh, teaching so much Braille and doing so much, especially for adult Braille learners. That's the really, really amazing part because that's, that's difficult and you guys are doing a fabulous job of it. But the other, the other winner was a product called Hapta Braille which is a device for people who are deafblind to communicate. It, it works with an Android app and the hearing person speaks and the um, keys of this device vibrate in the shape of braille characters. And then the um, deafblind person can type back to the hearing person. Well, congratulations to Hapta Braille. And once again, thank you very much on behalf of all the volunteers and freelancers here at the Braillers Foundation, who I know work tirelessly to spread uh, Braille usage. Um, we will come back to you a little bit later, Judy, to hear about um, uh, tactile graphics uh, and some of the developments in that area. But I'm going to turn to uh, JJ now. Um, JJ, tell us about what's happening with braille displays i mean what more can we really do with a braille display that we we couldn't do a couple of years ago is braille, a braille displays are they moving on is it is it kind of stagnated where are we at what was what was new in the world of braille displays at csun i think a little bit of both right so you had this recent crop of new displays that came out uh during covid uh, namely the new version new stuff from humanware the new uh, Brilliant series, the X series, the 20 and 40 X series, along with the uh, Mantis, which is American Printing House product. That's a Braille display that has a QWERTY keyboard. And you're really getting the melding of Braille displays doing more than just being a Braille display. This started with the Vario Ultra, was really the first one to really kind of push this uh, envelope a little further. And you're seeing Braille displays that do a lot more now than just connecting to your phone. You can take notes on them. You can read uh, in a variety of formats. One of the big announcements with the BI series from Humanware is that they are adding, they had promised speech support, meaning that you'll be able to play audiobooks and other files along uh, with uh, reading Braille books and connecting to your phone um, as you can do already. So that's probably where you're really, um, the area between what a Braille display is and what a note taker, as in like a Braille note or a Braille sense does, that area is thinning. The Braille notes and Braille sense are targeted towards K-12. That's our primary and secondary school education. So for kids, they're targeted towards those areas. They're targeted towards math. 
and other things, uh, sharing and other things that people and students really need in the classroom where the Braille displays are for lots of other people, people uh, just who want to connect to their phone, but they also want their display to do a few additional things. So the smart Braille display is receiving new smarts in the form of, of updates. So any, any new hardware to speak of at CSUN? In the Braille display, um, there is a, a new Braille Sense. Um, speaking of hymns, the Braille Sense 6 was announced last year. Um, now there's a 6 Mini, which is the uh, successor to the Polaris Mini, so it's going to be a 20 cell unit. Um, pretty much of all the smarts, it's an Android-based note-taker with all the modern hardware, or as modern as these note-takers go, um, as far as hardware. So that was announced. Uh, it's going to be released in the spring uh, for about 4500 here in the U.S., so those, those prices are kind of inching up a little bit, I think, because of the supply chain thing as far as Braille goes. Um, there is a new uh, announced Braille uh, keyboard device from Orbit called the Orbit Speak. And people are kind of saying, well, we're throwing back to the Braille and speak again. And that is, I think, exactly what they're thinking of doing. So this is a device with a Braille keyboard similar to the Orbit Writer, which is just a Braille uh, Bluetooth Braille keyboard that you can connect to your phone or your computer. But it's going to have the features of the Orbit Reader 20. In other words, you can read, uh, you can uh, read text files and BRF files, and you can do some simple editing and do some other stuff as well. And it's going to probably come in for a few hundred dollars or less. And that's a really interesting device because it does not have a Braille display as part of it. It is a Braille keyboard with speech output, essentially. So very much like the Braille and Speak, which was around about 30 years ago for those of us with long memories. We're in a very different world now. Judy? There were a couple of other Braille-type keyboard devices there. The Hable One was there. And uh, I know I've seen it discussed on several Brailleist Foundation lists. So I, several of your folks are familiar with that, more so than people in the U.S. And there was also another keyboard uh, from Korea called the QWERTY... QWERTY Case? QWERTY Case, yes. Um, and it, it could do pretty in a curious way, um, not organized in the way you might expect, but it also had six of its keys you could in, use to input Braille. So the uh, Hable one is really kind of comparable, I suppose, with the Orbit writer in the sense that it is just a controller. It doesn't have any onboard book reading ability that the Orbit speak is pr promising. Uh, but the interesting thing about Hable 1, which has been shortlisted for uh, an RNIBC Differently Award, the results of which are going to be announced any any minute. Uh, but the interesting about the Hable 1 is it doesn't follow the traditional Perkins layout it feels like a game controller and that's exactly where it came from um the dutch chap who, who came up with the hable one uh took a lot of design cues from how you hold a game controller with both hands you know in front of you with the you know the keys sort of um you know your fingers all on the the keys whereas the orbit writer you really need a, a table or something to to rest that on because it's got that perkin style keyboard so you're you're kind of pressing down rather than squeezing but it does have a place to attach a lanyard. So you could conceivably hold it around your neck, but it is the Hable is more comfortable to use that way. We'll come on to tactile graphics in a, in a second. But before we come to tactile graphics, I'm going to bring James Bowden in because there is also a move to develop a new electronic Braille format. And one of the reasons... 
that has been suggested why we might need that uh, is is kind of related to um, graphics and and navigation and kind of spatial information. James, do you want to sort of speak to, to this a little bit more? Where's this idea come from? Who's developing it? And how can we learn more? Yeah, sure. So I understand it's an initiative from the American Printing House, but they absolutely do not want to own the standard long term. They want it to be a kind of a a global standard that everyone uses. And there are limitations with what you can do with a standard BRF file. So they contain lines of characters and pages of lines. And you cannot easily change the size of the page without a lot of manual fiddling about. Um, You cannot easily navigate to the next heading or you can't follow a link, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If If you like the analogy, a BRF file is basically a plain text file, but it contains Braille characters instead of print characters. So what APH are proposing is what they're currently calling an extended BRF file. Um, the name possibly might change, I don't know. Um, but it it's going to be a much richer file format. And it will allow you to do all these things like we're used to with screen readers, jump to the next heading, jump to the next table, Um, jump to the next link, whatever, you know, you could follow a link. Um, You can even, if your Braille display is a different size to the one that created it, then you can reformat the text on the fly and you won't get this problem of long line, short line, long line, short line, and so on and so on. And it can include graphics as well for those displays which can display graphics too. So my understanding, and Jay, feel free to come in because you spoke with Greg Stilson recently on this subject, uh, is that the, the kind of the EBRF proposal, it's a bit like an EPUB. It is, but they're actually, they want to do something that's similar to HTML. And I think that's really important, especially when you look at graphics formats. There are a lot of graphics formats and programs to create bra- graphics that a blind person cannot use independently currently. And I think us being able to create our own graphics is a really important component of this. So they are proposing, and I haven't looked at the spec entirely yet, but using a lot of the existing HTML tags, not reinventing the wheel. That's actually one of the things that they've been uh, discussing over time as far as the way to present this and just adding some additional tags to represent all the things, everything from the graphics that we talked about to uh, multiple dot, dot heights, which some graphics tablets will deal with and some do not. So the standard is going to be available. Um, they do want to make it open source. And I'm really excited. It's going to be a couple year process, but definitely excited to see where this goes. There's lots of pieces to this jigsaw, aren't there? Uh, I mean, Judy, I, I want you to come in in a second and just talk a little bit about some of the hardware that you experienced at, at CSUN. I mean, obviously, we need a file format. I think there'll also be a learning curve and a lot of training needed. I don't know. How do you get on with tactile graphics? I'm interested to hear. Get ready to uh, share your thoughts and questions. Uh, we will be opening uh, for that very soon. But Judy, just uh, summarize, if you would, some of the tactile graphics uh, concepts that you encountered at, uh, at CSUN? I saw at least four different instances of tactile graphics displays. All of them were based on dots in one way or another. Uh, APH showed their iteration of what they're thinking. It's based on the dot pad 
the dot pad is from dot incorporated those are the folks who make the um the dot watch which you may have heard of and the dot pad is kind of a I don't know, eight by 10 kind of size, eight inches by 10 inches. Can you do inches? <laughs> 20, 20 by 30 centimeters. Um, and it is, the dots are, are the, the resolution is actually pretty good. The dots are quite fine. I, my guess would be something like 10 dots per inch. And, and it looked good. I mean, I saw the dot pad two years ago and it didn't look so good the dots weren't all that high and they were kind of scratchy and funny and and i thought this year it looked quite nice it really really looked good um orbit was showing the graffiti plus which is similar to the device that they've had before which is a much much lower resolution not that many dots per inch maybe about five um but it also has the ability to have different dot heights. It, dots can be of four different heights, which is really helpful when you're trying to distinguish different parts of a graphic. But this graffiti had a 40 cell braille display built into it. So uh, I suspect that's gonna be a pretty expensive creature. And let's see what else. Oh, and then a company, a new company, the, the maker of the aforementioned haptibraille um, was also showing something they were calling the braille pad about the same size as the dot pad but their their dots still need some work they it kind of looks like the dot pad looked um, a while back although they're saying that it's going to be available in june um i suspect they're uh, being a little wishful thinking about that but uh, lots and lots of tactile graphic stuff it was very cool and, and what were the sort of examples uh, on show? I mean, I remember the graffiti demos, you know, from from APH a few years back, and they had all kinds of weird and wonderful things, blood cells and logos of corporations and all manner of things. And I remember the, um, you know, the, the examples on the original dot pad were, you know, kind of a grid. And, and I think that that was pretty much it. Is the, the sort of the sample content to really show off what this stuff can do uh, evolved at all? Well, a very cool thing, they had a presentation of a program called Image, which is a development from McGill University. And they can take any image, as long as, as, long as it's an image you can download from the web as, as some kind of a file, they can take any image and render it into an audio form. And that aspect of it is actually available now with a, with a browser extension and or tactile form and they're using the dot pad and the and, and another haptic device which isn't tactile exactly it's more like force feedback as you move a little arm around a, a, a screen you you can feel resistance and and you're meant to figure out what the shape of the device of the of the images from that i found it a little tricky to do but the part on the dot pad was cool they were showing musical scores and um, maps and things that they'd gotten from the web some you know photographs of people were almost meaningless i think uh, but but some other graphics that they had gotten graphs they were i saw pie charts and and histograms and things like that looked great uh so we're going to come to tracy first uh tracy you're good to go
the um, the DOTS uh, device that you're talking about, I understand it's only with iOS. I know it doesn't work with Android, apparently. Do you know if it works with, uh, with a PC? So this is really interesting. Um, Dot has the, the reason what you're seeing is Dot got a collaboration with Apple that they actually got stuff added to the rotor. Uh, so iOS 15.2 and newer has some new graphics options in the rotor. And what they were demoing in the booth is they were sending pictures from the, an iPhone to the Dot pad. They, there's, this is not an exclusive. They've already been talking to Microsoft a little bit, and their API, which is the technical way of saying that programmers can work with them on the pad, is going to be open, entirely open. So there's no nothing that stops it from being working with anything else. It just doesn't. No one has written that yet. Well, if you hook it up to an Android phone, who knows what would happen? We're going to remember, yeah, yeah, nothing at the moment. And remember, this is not even available. The first edition, which is going to be mostly for developers and programmers of the dot pad, they're saying maybe by the end of the year, and it's going to be several thousand. So this is going to be a, the version one is going to be a very early adopter uh, type situation. Jake, can you just, can you just elaborate how, how that, what that looks like? Did you get to try that yourself to, to send an image from a, a phone to a tactile display? They were controlling it, um, but they were just going, when they were going through icons, it was sending over to the phone, like for instance, the messaging icon or the home icon. Now, just feeling an icon to me isn't, doesn't offer a ton of context. The version that Dot had actually had an additional 40 cell braille display on the bottom. I think where APH is taking this is they recognize the value of this in education and they're showing, their demos were showing a lot of graphics and text on the same page that they had created. Um, so I think they understand, a APH probably has a, maybe a, a more of a handle on the uses of tactile graphics, you know, using and combining text and graphics in the same uh, screen. So the technology I think is, is there, the refresh rate is there, it's about two seconds as opposed to other devices. Um, you know, but it's going to take now coders and a lot of development over the next couple of years and beyond. And the spacing is good. The braille that they, that was rendered on the on, with the graphics looked looked really nice. Hope that answered your question, Tracy. We're going to come to David Weston next. Uh, David, you're good to go. I've been looking at CSUN, and I found something called Barnacle. And this is a, a, a sort of large mouse with three buttons, a forward, left and right, and a single cell braille display to play games. But it has another side to it, an educational side, is that it has speech output. And it's even for sighted people to learn braille. So you get the tactile A signs for A. It will tell you it's A, and it also will tell you what dot it is. I did. I did look at this, and uh, I actually played Wordle, and and was able to guess the word. So um, it it is a one cell braille display, and as you move the device around, the the character under the display changes. Um, you have to move your finger to read it again, but it is it is what it is. Yeah, I wondered if James Bowden, you might come in because we've talked about single cell Braille in the past, and and you've you've kind of spotted a couple of um, almost existential problems with with single cell Braille. 
Yeah, there is. Um, there was a, I forget the name of the thing, Dave, you might remember. It was a, was it a Spanish company developed something and we saw it at Site Village in London one year. But the, the, there is an existential problem with a single cell Braille display. Um, let's assume you had the letter E, um, dots one and five, and then that changes to a D. That's one, four, five. You only tend to feel the change. So you only tend to feel the dot four rather than the rest of it. Um, so you, that's, that's, you have to move your finger in order to kind of refresh. It's, it's, it's a really strange phenomenon. But I don't think that's unique to this, this particular thing. It's, 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 it's a human thing. It's an actu actually, it's a biological phenomenon called lateralization. And it means that the sense of touch has to have lateral motion to be detectable. Well, I listened to a, I think it was about six and a half minute video on this on YouTube. And by the description that was coming out, the display was very good. And the speech output is very good. And, and they played a game called Guide Dogs which was quite hilarious. But then they went over to the educational side and they're selling this, going to be selling this to a lot of sighted parents who got blind children in order to help them to learn Braille to assist their children. You know, this might be a good time uh, to mention what, what APH over here is calling Polly. And I'm not sure if it's coming to the UK yet, um, it's a device from a company called Thinkerbell Labs. Annie. Yeah, we know about Annie, yeah. And it, they, is Annie released in the UK currently? No. So we'll go ahead and, and explain anyway, Jay, because I think there will be people for whom that will be new. I'll start and you can back me up. Anyone else can back me up. Because, um, but essentially, it's a multimodal Braille learning tool. So it has a refreshable, uh, I think, six-cell Braille display built in. It has a little built-in slate and stylus. It has a little keyboard. It has uh, these kind of bigger looking pegs that also can pop up to do. It has two gigundous Braille cells. They're, refresh they're refreshable, but they're about um, three inches high. They look like the little peg uh, cell, the swing cells almost. Um, and these are all kind of built into this device and it has all sorts of different games and tools and then teachers can go on to a uh, website or a wi-fi tool and they can they can look at the how the student is doing their progress i think a device like that between parents and students and teachers maybe has more viability not that there couldn't be something to take from a device like barnacle sometimes you know the we might focus on the one cell is limiting, and I think it is, but there might be something that they're doing really well that we could take from that and, and put towards other devices as well. A question from Ed for Judy. Uh, Ed is wondering whether you have any experience of the read ring. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, national. The read ring was the Touch of Genius Prize winner in 2021. And so we saw a prototype at that time. This is a small device that you put your finger into. It's not exactly a ring, but it's, it is kind of a half round part. And then as you move it around, Braille um, 
comes in and flows across your finger and flows out. Um, somewhat like an opticon if you ever did that, but it's braille, not, not print letters. And um, National Braille Press did have at their booth this year the, an updated version of the Reed Ring. It's still not finished. It's still not ready, but I think it's really exciting. It's, it, right now it works with Android, um, but um, it, can, it will work with, with iOS. But it has a lot of promise because this tiny little thing and the Braille is moving. So it's, it's very readable, uh, but it's, it's, not, it's not ready yet. But it's, I think it's incredibly cool. It's from Thailand. So when you say it's not quite a, a ring then, Judy, is it sort of like, I'm imagining a thimble or something like that? Imagine a mouse, but the mouse has an opening at the back where you can put your finger. A computer mouse, that's just... A computer uh, mouse, yes, yes. Not, a, not a squeak, squeak mouse. So you put your finger at the back of it and then there's this kind of small platform with a, with a half round depression where, you, where your finger goes. I like your description there. The Braille flows in and out. So uh, that would be really interesting to experience. So is it pins or? or... It is pins, I think, but it's very, the, you know, very, very fine resolution. So that kind of solves the, the kind of the one cell sort of issue because you've got that lateral motion that you were speaking about. Oh, yes. Yes. Okay, so if anyone's got any questions about any aspect of uh, touch of genius, braille displays, tactile graphics, or the new electronic braille format, have, have I missed anything, guys? You know, was there anything else, you know, that's sort of a little bit peripheral, maybe just a kind of a tactile product that, that perhaps wouldn't grab the headlines? There was a very interesting tactile globe Um the whole it just had the physical features of the world but then somehow it was coated all over with um something and used a wand to touch it and the wand spoke so as you touched it in various places things like this have existed before but um this one is quite a lot less expensive than and its predecessors it's from JJ, you remember the name of the company? It was a company in Spain. Sixar. Futuro. Sixar Futuro. And uh, they, that, was, that was really interesting. And they were saying it was going to be about $200. Yep, something around there. And I think they were just as much looking for companies or individuals to partner with them. So that's the type of thing they say, well, we can customize the globe to the needs of your country or put it in whatever language. So, and they can make it a little more dense or less dense as far as how many tags they put in. They call it something called OID and was not a, so it's not NFC and it's not RFID. It's another tagging system, but it's one that they can implement at a very low cost. They also had a bunch of Braille games and puzzles and they seem like a, a good company to perhaps uh, to produce some uh, very uh, affordable uh, Braille products. I wonder if um, this is the talking tactile globe that RNIB has recently added to its shop. And the wand that Judy describes is the pen friend with the pre-recorded messages. This looked like a pen friend. I asked him if it was pen friend and he said, well, they had looked at it, but this was different. Okay. So it is different from the one we've got. Yeah. Cause this, he, he very specifically, JJ's right. This is not, this is some other coding technology. It's it's uh, not the pen friend. Because the pen friend itself would cost almost that much. 
And they said the want comes with it. Yes. Going to come to a question from phone number ending in 517 in a moment or two. But just before we do, quick question from the chat, Judy. Does the read ring convert print to Braille? Yes. Yes, I mean, that's what it's doing. It's converting the, the, the text that's whatever is on the Android phone, whether it's email or text message or anything else that might be on the phone. And it's, you know, you're able to read it in Braille. But not physical print. Right, not physical print, not printed print. No. All right, so we're going to come to 517 now. And then after you, uh, 517, going to come to another question from someone on a telephone whose number ends in 768. Um, I've just asked you, uh, 517, to unmute. And you're good to go. Okay, this is Mary Beth. And um, actually, I, have, I had one question before, but now I have two questions. Um, but they're both quick, I promise. Um, on the graphic stuff, um, did they show it um, at all using um, image PDFs to, to see what it would do with that? There's, there's my first question. My second question is um, the so the so the read ring can't it can't do regular print. You just have to use it on on the on the screen of the phone. Is that how it works or what? Correct. Yes, it's not a camera. It 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 doesn't have a camera as part of it. Can I come in on the first part of the question? Um, which is the, the image PDF thing. I know the Graffiti and the Graffiti Plus have an HDMI port, um, so you can actually physically feel on your graphics tablet what is actually on the computer screen. So again, then it'll show you the print letters? Yeah, if you, if you, if you zoom it in enough, you will see the print letters, yeah. You wouldn't get that many on the screen, though, if you zoomed it enough to be able to read it. I had fun one fun one time connecting the graffiti to a television, and the newscast happened to be on, and I could feel the person, and he, it was a man, and I could feel his suit jacket, where his tie was, and he was moving all over the place. And he kept going, you know, side to side. And I said, did people do this? <laughs> did they really move around that much? And oh yeah, yeah, they do, they do. It was very, it was actually quite fun. JJ, do you know if any of the other ones have got a, like a video import? I would assume, um, you know, nothing is finalized yet. And I know they've all talked about, we want to be able to, you know, APH was sending stuff from a computer Dot was sending it from an iPhone. So I believe the intent is uh, probably through HDMI as one of the protocols or just through USB sending over that, that information. The, the challenge is always going to be the, the graphics that you're sending, the, the, the really big leap is going to be converting that into a form that is actually usable, not just having a big blob of dots. And the size of it, the, 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 the dot display is really quite small. Um, they're seeing 10 lines of 32 cells of Braille to give you an idea of what its size is. But, I mean, to try to think of that as, as trying to read print or images, it's going to be small. Definitely. Thanks for that, everyone. Going to come to a question from someone whose number ends in 768 now. I've just asked you to unmute and you're good to go. Okay. Um, I, I did want to say hi to Dave real quick. Haven't talked to you in a number of years, but uh, anyway, um, I wanted to know. I, I'm kind of fascinated with this read ring thing. So I'm basically wondering 
how you control this unit. Now, I'm, I'm of course, familiar with an, with an opticon where you're moving the camera around. So in this case, are you having to move one finger around the screen of the phone or something, and then your other hand is in this little ring, or how are you controlling it, I guess? Um, it's kind of a multifaceted question. Also, is it like Bluetooth paired and have they given any kind of an idea what the cost might be when it's ready? It is, yes. The read ring is Bluetooth to the phone and um, you do kind of roll it around in a similar way that, to how you would move a computer mouse. Um, I, I haven't heard anything about cost. Thank you. So you're actually moving it rather than having to move your finger around the phone. Oh, yeah. You don't move your finger around the phone. The phone can be across the room. Ah. Hope that helped and uh, definitely an interesting device to keep an eye on. A uh, question from the chat for uh, anyone in the panel. Uh, can anyone speak to the latest developments in uh, graphic embossers, uh, preferably affordable graphic embossers? Oh, you had me into affordable. Well, that's that's uh, that's the bit of the caveat, isn't it? Yeah. Rel relatively speaking, of course. <laughs> I mean, View Plus is still the name that we go to for for that type of stuff. They were showing um, their their newer generation of their more uh, graphics focused single sided embosser. I'm blanking on the name, Judy. Um, Columbia and the little one. So you have Columbia and Delta, and those are the more aimed at consumers. And, and I asked them, this said the difference is the dots that are produced, so those are at a uh, kind of a different DPI than the ones that are, um, this is a more, I'll see if I can dig it up really quickly, a replacement to their higher end one. Um, that's It's targeted more at uh, producing textbooks and things like that at, for $6,500. I, I looked at the little ones. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing. You know, I have a, a Delta, and... Even at you know two three thousand, it it can do a lot as far as you know. There's only so many DPI dots per inch that you can do on a you know on a embosser that's worth feeling. I guess the difference is the the several different dot heights and the crispness of the the graphics um, are certainly have certainly improved over time. But I wouldn't say there's any groundbreaking you know technologies. The Rogue is the new one. You can do some basic tactile graphics on uh, with James Bowden uh, come in here because you uh, produced uh, a tactile graphic for our beginners uh, course. I did. Yeah. So I think from what I can gather, most embossers can do graphics. The difficulty is getting them to do graphics, um, i.e. producing the graphic for them to emboss in the first place. So I so the graphic that I had to, the graphic I did for um, actually I did it for something else but uh, it, it's it's been used by the Brellis. I'm very glad it's proving useful. Um, I actually wrote a program to do that. Well, I told you, James, that I sent that graphic. I did not. I have an old old Juliet and really old nineteen from 1995. This Juliet. I've never seen it do a graphic in its life. I didn't know it could. And I sent that file to my Juliet, and lo and behold, that graphic that you created with the two Braille cells embossed beautifully. 
I know I want to make graphics for it and I have absolutely no idea how. Exactly. The difficulty is, is actually producing in them in the first place. So if we could get some technology to clone James Bowden, uh, then everybody can have tactile graphics. <laughs> you don't want to clone me, I promise you. <laughs> yeah, that's always been the challenge. We need more tools for blind people to to create graphics. You could use SVG as a format perhaps or something else, but there's I mean that's a, probably another um, podcast or another week of discussion. That's another master class. Definitely. They book, we booked you, booked you in, James. So I had a question, and uh, we're going to come to Claire in a moment, who's just raised her hand. Um, around the tactile graphics displays, for anyone who's seen one, it feels like it's the sort of thing where I, you know, I really want one, but then I'm hesitant to buy a first-generation device because it's a first-generation device, but then equally the various companies that make them need us to buy a first-generation device so that the second-generation's start to exist. Do, do you think this is the kind of thing where we we should be getting a first gen unit or maybe a bit wiser to wait? I would only get a first generation. So, I'm, and I'm including the dot pad and whatnot in the first generation, even though the graffiti has been out for a couple of years. Um, I, would, I would only get it if you are a programmer or are able to work with one. Because otherwise, I think you're going to be kind of looking at it and wondering what to do with it. Um, the DOT and APH and others are trying to fund a lot of this through grants, uh, through Department of Education here or through other locations to really kind of jumpstart it. And largely based on textbooks and the need to create uh, graphics in textbooks and lower the cost of all the paper that is used just to print out one Braille book. So a lot of the funding is coming or they hope is coming from organizations as opposed to us. So I don't think it's the type of thing where if we don't buy, it's going to go away. You know, that being said, if you, if you have, if someone were to have access to, or are, is a developer, um, or you want to maybe even think about uh, creating uh, graphics for a specific industry and working with someone, you maybe you could apply for a grant to get that going. I think there are certainly going to be some opportunities available. Interesting, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely, very, very tempting, but yeah, not not an impulse purchase by uh, by any stretch. I mean, I think um, the, the the possibilities of these graphics displays could be only limited by your imagination in some sense. Um, I mean, the one the one I've seen is the graffiti, and I was thinking, you know, you could use this at the basic level to teach people about basic geometry you could even teach people to handwrite this is the shape of a print capital a you go like this and you draw and the dots come up behind you it's amazing um, or at the other end you could use it to make sure your business powerpoint slides actually look all right don't fly off into the car park like mine did once upon a time can i, can I mention something really quick on that because uh, you remind us of something i think the graffiti currently does have that ability to draw using your finger. And that is something that is currently included in the prototypes of the DOT or APH devices. They're not against that. They certainly want to include that, but the ones they were showing did not have that yet. So I think it depends on what you're trying to use it for, whether you feel that's an important element of the graphics tablet. One of the use cases for uh, tactile graphics, I'd love to see some kind of mashup with uh, the San Francisco Lighthouse T-Map project. Yes, that came up a bunch. Yeah, wait. 
you know, you can, uh, for those that are not aware, you can feed the software your, your zip code or postcode and it will produce a tactile map with a key of your local area so you can feel line drawings of the streets near where you live and then they're labelled uh, and then there's a key for those labels. I, I would love to be able to do that in real time on a tactile graphics display. Should we go to Claire's question? Well, this is something a bit different. Can you tell me what social haptics is? Um, how I would learn it. I um, can't see terribly well. I can't hear terribly well. No clue. Yeah, nothing at, at CSUN. I mean, I think the closest thing to communication in that regard was the, the Hapti Braille. Um, as far as, uh, you know, I, when you go beyond that, uh, it's certainly outside of my knowledge. A um, couple of hands now. We're going to come to Steve next. Uh, Steve, you're good to go. Hi, I uh, hadn't heard anybody talk about the Canutes in this discussion, uh, wondering what they're up to. And my other question is, is there any uh, work being done by the screen reader manufacturers uh, in conjunction with any of these displays to give one a, a graphical sense of what's happening on the screen, not so much the, the shapes, but just, you know, where things are on the screen, up, down, left, right, whatever, and in one of these, uh, you know, displays, it's more than just a, a line of cells. Should we just go to Ed firstly on the Canute, uh, just to share what you're up to, Ed, very briefly with Steve, and then maybe if we go to uh, JJ to talk about um, screen reader support, because uh, I know you mentioned voiceover earlier, Jay, so it might be just worth mentioning that. So, Ed? Sure. We have done just recorded um, a podcast uh, with Blind Bargains, and we'll be talking on that podcast uh, about some of the stuff that we've been getting up to, especially to do with programming and and um, uh, and 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 how you can plug the commute into things. This is experimental stuff that we'll be discussing. But bear in mind, the commute has already been released, so this is stuff that would work on existing displays that you've already got. So, the short answer, maybe I'm not sure if you've heard any more, Judy. I think the short answer is that screen reader manufacturers are aware and it's something that they are behind the scenes working on. I They aren't really announcing anything public, but you have a couple of things that are going on. One, the need to support a multi-line Braille display, whether it does graphics or not. And that's something that we really haven't done in the past. You know, for instance, if you had a five-line display just to pull a number out of you know, a hat, you know, to maybe have a status line as the last line. So things like that just haven't been really conceptualized. And I also think, you know, EBRF has a potential to, to pop into this as well, you know, where you could maybe hit a key from your screen reader or a certain, you know, command to send the current image to a connected tablet. There's a lot, I think, that we're still figuring out here. So the screen reader uh, manufacturers are certainly aware, and you know that uh, there will be discussions and they're going to want to support this in some way. Yeah, and three or four years ago, uh, there was a kind of a coming together with, uh, you know, Microsoft and Google and Apple um, and, and Vespero to, uh, and Dolphin and, and, and others, um, I think, NV Access to sort of hash out the uh, HID Braille specification um, and certainly multi-line was on the table, uh, literally, in fact. Uh, there was a canoe in the room um, at that uh, meeting. So uh, Jay's absolutely right that, um, this stuff is being thought about behind the scenes. Um, I think only Apple at this point have really kind of shown their hand a little bit with some of the 
new um, UI stuff that's been available in the rotor in recent versions of, of iOS. Uh, so I guess the short answer is, is watch this space. A question from the chat, and it's actually a, a really good question. Um, we're going to come to uh, Terry Ann after this, by the way. Um, what's the difference between a Braille note taker and a Braille display? You know, that used to be a clear difference being a braille display being something that you connected to another device to use it be it a computer or even a smartphone or something and a note taker would be something that had applications on it you used it by itself that distinction has become significantly blurred in recent years with a device like the oh even the focus with its scratch pad built in is that a braille display a note taker it's probably a little of both probably more braille display than a note taker then you've got something like the um uh, brilliant bix 40 which is has a lot of applications on it but it's a braille display as well is it a note taker or a braille display probably a little about equal parts of each so I don't think these days there is any longer a clear distinction between Braille displays and note takers. Yeah, I tried to sort of popularize the term smart Braille display, um, but I didn't really catch on with the, you know, Braille displays that had a little bit of extra when I did a bit of work with Baum on the, um, on the Vario Ultra. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, lot of overlap and it, and it can be confusing. I guess the starting point is, do you want to use this device by itself and if without having to rely on a connection with a you know a phone or a tablet or a laptop and if yes then what do you actually want to do is it just read books or do you want to be able to do spreadsheets and all kinds of other stuff and then that might then help when selecting a product that might be best suited to your needs yeah great uh, great comments there from everyone on the panel. Uh, we're going to come to Terry-Ann uh, for a question now. And I think after Terry-Ann, we'll hand over to Dave to wrap things up for the session. Uh, Terry-Ann, you are good to go. Hello, everybody. Um, I It just seems to me that it has taken a very long time for graphics and interfacing with such to really become a, a, a project that is now being thought about and worked upon, worked on in earnest. And I'm just wondering why that is. Is it now because we're focusing more on braille displays and not so much with speech or is there some other component here it just seems like it's taken way too long. We've talked about it and talked about it, and now we're finally getting to it, or am I missing something? So one of the reasons, Terry-Ann, is um, most of the traditional Braille displays use standard piezo crystal uh, things to active, as activators for the, the different dots. And a standard 40-cell, eight-dot Braille display you do the math, it's got a few hundred pins. And they charge something like $4,000, $3,000. Graphics tablet is going to have many times that number of pins. Um, so the, 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 the Orbit Graffiti is 
40 by 60, it's 2,400 pins. Uh, the, the dot pad one, 32 by 10, that's, that's, you know, you're talking big numbers of cells again, big numbers of pins. And it's partly because the new technologies that are being developed um, can bring the price per dot down sufficiently to make a graphics tablet feasible. Somewhat. I mean, the, graf the graffiti is still very expensive. I saw at, at um, the Braille 21 in Leipzig in 2011, there was a German, for all practical purposes, a German graffiti there. And it was about the same size, had a bazillion pins, and they were talking about $50,000. So now we're down to $15,000 10 years later. And maybe 10 years from now, we might be down to $5,000, but they're still expensive. Even what's being shown today is still expensive. And it, it, the, it's, it's the juxtaposition of the device that can actually produce the dots. And what are we going to send to it? And is that going to be meaningful to us? Have you got anything to add to that, Jay? No, I mean, I was just going to say money, and then James more eloquently said it. <laughs> no, Judy. I mean, that's, but that, that's that. That's really it. I mean, this is it hasn't been feasible until now. As more companies and organizations have tackled this, there's been hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars thrown at ta at tackling this challenge of creating more affordable dots. And it's interesting, isn't it? Everything this year seems to be about graphics. And a few years back, the thing was a whole page braille display. Now that seems to have gone away somewhere. But it's still possible. I mean, the good thing is that, yeah, I mean, the, the dot pad or APH, those things can be a full page braille display and the canute already exists. But, but with, with, all, with all respect, the canute and the dot pad are one third of a page, not, not a whole page. That's true. You're absolutely right. And, but I guess we're just happy to see 10 lines and yeah, you're right. Well, this has been a fascinating session, guys, and thank you so much for sharing your expertise. James Bowden, Technical Officer from RNIB, uh, JJ Meadow from AT Guys and Blind Bargains and all sorts of uh, places, and Judy Dixon from the International Council on English Braille and many of her roles as well. You can find Judy's books from the National Braille Press. Thank you, Ben Mustle-Rose, for your help with all the moderating and button pushing on a very busy session and thank you to all of you for all your uh, intelligent and insightful questions it really has been fascinating and lots more ideas there uh, to pick up and explore and run with in future weeks from me dave williams and the rest of the brailist foundation team until next time bye for now we hope you've enjoyed this episode of brailcast the official podcast of the brailists foundation you can find more Braille-related content by subscribing to Braillecast, all one word, in your podcast client of choice. Or listening to Braillecast, connecting the dots for Braillists everywhere on your smart speaker. You can also find past episodes on our website at braillecast.com. If you have comments on the podcast or suggestions of topics or guests for future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Please email help at braylists.org. You can also find the Braylists on Twitter at Braylists or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Foundation. Finally, if you like what you've heard, spread the word. New listeners are always welcome. So if you know other people who are interested in Braille, please tell them where to find us. In the meantime, on behalf of everyone at the Braillists, thanks for listening and bye for now.
that costs of producing this episode were defrayed by a grant from the Activate Fund of the Winston Churchill Memorial Trust. For more information, visit wcmt.org.uk.